Hi, welcome to Queen of the Ring, the podcast that wants to talk to you all about women's wrestling. My name is Alexa. This week's episode has taken me quite a long time to get all sorted out. I basically couldn't stop researching because this week's topic, Mae Young, has just so much information out there. Um, I think this is going to be two parts. I kind of just had to like stop doing research at one point because I was like, do I want to write a fucking book or something? Like, I need to stop. But there's just so much information out there and I hope I can include everything and talk about it in the most real way I can. Um, And I think this might be a little bit longer than usual just because this is a woman that had a decades, decades, decades long career, like seven and a half decades to be specific. And it's just so dense, but I hope you enjoy. Mae Young is like a Wild West figure, in a way. She is bigger than life. And there's a little bit of a myth to her. I'm going to try to find the person within it, but it can be kind of hard to parse out the fantasy from the reality when this person has been around for as long as she was. For seven and a half decades, Mae Young dominated what being a heel and a villain was in professional wrestling. She transformed her career when she was in her 70s and 80s, and she continued to remain interested in the sport that she loved. May has Oklahoma roots. Her finishing move that she would do is called the Bronco Buster because of it. And I like to think of a childhood May sitting in an Oklahoman rodeo, seeing all of those Broncos buck, and kind of foreseeing herself and her name in lights, or maybe just sitting there watching. Johnny Mae Young was born on March 12, 1923 in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. It's right outside of Tulsa, like only a few miles, I think. Her mom was named Lily Mae and her father, John Henry. Mae was the youngest of eight children, but only seven survived infancy. Johnny's namesake, her father, John, abandoned her family during the height of the Great Depression, and it's very understandable why she then started going by May. Because of the state of much of the world at the time, the family was incredibly poor, especially with a single mother family. When May took the first train out of her childhood into adolescence, she got a job at the local cotton mill to keep up with the expenses that were in the house. And as it usually goes in these stories that I tell, this young lady was sporty. She was a gifted athlete at a very early age. She played baseball and softball as a left-handed hitter and a third baseman. And while she was with the team, they won a national championship. She was also the kicker on the boys' football team. And that was even all before wrestling caught her eye. Two of her brothers joined the wrestling team in high school, and they came back home and did what I guess all brothers do. They showed May some moves, putting her in some locks, 
And they did it not knowing that they just triggered a bomb within her that would reverberate for the next seven and a half decades. The name of the wrestling coach at her school in Sand Springs was named Shag Sheros, and after trying her out, like, I guess, with some of the guys he had around, he took her on the team pretty immediately. The professional wrestler of the early 1900s, Ed the Strangler Lewis, had roots in May's hometown of Sand Springs. Apparently, he also gave May some training while she was still in her teens. There's an article that says Ed met his wife in Sand Springs and that she was a friend of May's mother, which made the Strangler a friend of the young family. In that same article, the reporter goes literally insane, telling us all that, quote, May was a tiny tot five years of age when Strangler surmised he'd like to start Little May on a trail that leads to the world's championship for lady wrestlers. So at the ripe age of five years old, May was taught to lift barbells and do body bridges. All I got out of that is picturing a baby with tiny little barbells, and it's very silly. But I guess that when she actually was starting her career, the Strangler once said to May something along the lines of, I don't like women's wrestling, because women belong in the kitchen, but if there ever was one to be a wrestler, you're it. An interesting backhanded compliment, but I don't doubt his earnestness. When May was only 16 years old, the year was 1939, and she drove to Tulsa to see two women who she would become incredibly familiar with in the coming years. It was a match between Mildred Burke and Gladys Killam Gillum in the main event. Mildred Burke was the reigning women's champion at the time and was essentially the first famous woman wrestler in the United States. She had been a circus wrestler where her spectacle as the woman who could wrestle any man that challenged her, it, it transitioned into the world of professional wrestling. And so she basically immaculately concepted the industry for women. Legend says that during the match that night in Tulsa, May was less than impressed by Burke's wrestling that night. So she walked up to the then manager and Burke's husband, actually, Billy Wolf, who is a scumbag for the record. Or was a scumbag. He's not alive anymore. May told Billy, either way, that she wanted a shot at the champ, basically. But Billy flat out refused her. He instead told her that he would give her a proper tryout. And he sent two women who were wrestling for him at the time to test her out. And I think he was probably hoping to just get rid of her that way. But we'll never know if that was the case. Because she beat both of them. In one article, I saw that the two women he sent were Elvira Snodgrass and the aforementioned Gladys Gillum. Not much is known about when she really started. Some report this same year, 1939, but it may have really been two years later when May turned 18 and had graduated high school. And although I think this would vary by people's opinions, but in the United States, after Mildred Burke exploded with fame, women's wrestling as a spectacle and a sport and the fandom around it kind of was catalyzed by a four horsewomen type group. There was Mildred Burke, Gladys Gillum, a woman named Mae Weston, and Mae Young. And truly, of course, there were women wrestling in circuses, as I said, and other women fighters before them. And some of the most famous women wrestlers out of Mexico began popping up in the mid to late 1940s. So it all kind of started at the same time. 
It's interesting because May's career kind of began just as the U.S. entered World War II. And because of the state of the United States at the time, there were many more opportunities for women in the workforce, and there wasn't male competition for about four years. And if we are to believe that May started in 1941 officially, that's just as the men were being sent off. I haven't seen much talk about this piece of her career, but I am interested in it. And it's very like a league of their own, um, which it's not going to be the last time I mention that. But basically, because this group of women who received this never-before-seen opportunity, wrestling received a whole new fan demographic that lasted long after the end of World War II. By the time the men who had left their jobs came back, they returned to something very different, and some didn't like it very much. May Young once said, quote, when I first started wrestling professionally, the men didn't like the girls because we'd go out and steal the show. It's so interesting how political and governmental policy can affect something so simple and non, non-reactionary, I guess, like wrestling. It's interesting. And after becoming a public figure, May began receiving the usual treatment for women in sports. From everything her friends say about her, May was a cigar-smoking, suit-wearing, tough son of a bitch. And random articles confirm what I've told you, stating, quote-unquote, tomboy May Young. Yet, in so many interviews at the beginning of her career, especially with hindsight, you can almost feel how these different journalists or reporters are trying to sculpt her into a mold of femininity that will make her palatable. There is a repeated pattern throughout history in media and journalism, literature, film, and more, that emphasizing the beauty of women athletes, like making their beauty and fragile nature of great importance, almost more important than their athletic ability itself. In this interview titled, Rough Stuff Only for the Ring, the reporter writes, quote, May may be as brutal as a bulldozer to her opponents in a wrestling bout, but in the negligee that outlines her trim, spinached, muscled figure, she's as feminine as any clinging vine, unquote. I bet her friends laughed when they read that about her. Because, I don't know, her transgressive femininity, like, had to be redefined in terms that make it see- make her seem not only more palatable, but, like, much more important than her wrestling ability and athletic prowess. It seems we value women for their physical appearance more. But even her more vicious sides of May's wrestling persona became feminized in some articles. Her villainous tactics are mutated into, quote, feminine tricks such as hair pulling and kicking, unquote. Uh, This is a theme I'd like to get more into when I cover women like China and her comparison to strong women of the past. Something else we seem to do in media when we want to, like when we want the public to have a certain opinion about a woman athlete, is to naturally start talking about the lucky man in her life. (laughs) The same interview is one of the only reportings I've seen that discuss her dating or interacting with men outside of getting into fights with them. It says, quote, May's boyfriend, 
Private Scotty Fritz, now with the Army in England, was a clarinet player in a Minneapolis dance orchestra before he joined the service. Quote, Men never believe I'm a lady wrestler, she said with the lift of a dark curved eyebrow. And when they're convinced, they're very surprised. They ask me all sorts of crazy questions, such as how do I protect myself and would I throw them in a headlock if they invited me to dinner? <laughs> That's so funny. I, I think that I would. I would put them in a headlock if they invited me to dinner. <laughs> but literally, this writer is like, and this little lady's off the market. <laughs> Yow. Then there's pretty Dottie Henson who plays like Gehrig and looks like Garbo. Uh-uh, fellas, keep your myths to yourself. She's married. That's just, like, really what it made me think of when I read it. But, like, even in the most simple of ways, like, this woman interviewer is talking about May's athletic accomplishments in high school, as I already told you guys about, and she changes from her being a champion baseball player to a champion badminton player, which, like, is... Just a random change, I think, to make her seem, like, more girly. Another thing imposed in these early years as a way to make her seem, like, more homely is that many talk about her dedication to religion. From 1944 to 1947, I guess May was a touring evangelist. This is a quote from an interview that she did. With the passages of scripture she quoted still ringing in your ears a few moments later, it was difficult to reconcile this one gal riot in the wrestling ring who stomped, bit, and pulled hair as compared with the charming, chic, and gracious lady with whom we had just talked. Rude. <laughs> but in an interview in 1947, May tells a reporter that her sister was a touring evangelist preacher, apparently, and in... The Christmas of 1945, May witnessed a quote-unquote faith healing of what she described as an old man who had been paralyzed for 16 years. I think he walked. She didn't say it completely, but it's I'm assuming that he started to walk. And she said that this made her join the Body of Christ Church in Oakland, California. She apparently toured through the state of California and would preach at some of the same halls that she had wrestled in before. And there seems to be a split amongst some pieces about her that I've read. Many say that she stopped wrestling during this time as a preacher altogether, but in some articles I found, it really seems like it was a part of her gimmick. And I mean, since she was always a heel for so long, I think an evangelical wrestler who operates as a villain would be such a hilarious angle. Although I don't think that that's what she did. It's just what like my fan fiction says that she did. In an article out of Knoxville in 1947, it says, quote, May Young, the grunting evangelist, telephoned on arriving in town for her struggle with Mildred Burke tonight at the Lyric. She said she wished to correct an erroneous report that seems to have been circulated hereabouts. She said, quote, I definitely do not and never will go in for snake handling at the meetings I conduct. I believe in the old-fashioned type of religion and try to make my services as decorous as possible. In a particularly interesting interview about her religion, May says, quote, Many people have expressed that they are surprised at my being a preacher and still carrying on as a wrestler. They intimate that the two don't mix. However, I like wrestling and I like preaching, and I can live a Christian life and do both. 
And after being told this by May in person, this reporter still can't seem to view May as a singular entity. She writes, quote, May Young, the gal of a thousand moods and grimaces, does a good job of out Dr. Jekylling and Mr. Hiding, the famous Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, unquote. Uh, but the way she insists on separating these parts of May's life proves just how little she was listening when May just said how she can do both without compromising the other. And I agree with May, in maybe a different way than she intended, but nonetheless, I think they are similar. The showmanship aspect of preaching is very in line with how wrestlers can use their charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent to push the story along. Preaching is a lot of storytelling, and I don't think that makes her a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> and even in a different article, a little bit more in line with how May and I feel about the situation, titled, May Young Was Once an Evangelist, the first sentence is, May Young is a more experienced wrestler than most of her opponents, for at one time in her career, she even wrestled with Satan as vigorously as she grappled with any of the women she met in the ring, unquote. <laughs> That's so good. But even so, actually, there was another lady wrestler who was an opponent to the devil. <laughs> she was steeped in that same evangelical religion that May was, and she was one of May's great rivals, Mildred Burke. May is being very careful not to smear Mildred's lipstick. Oh, I guess she did. And Mildred is mad. The same Mildred Burke that May said she wasn't too impressed with all those years ago. Throughout the first decade and a half of May's career, she and Mildred met in the ring many times over. In an incredible moment for both of the women, in the early 1940s, May and Mildred became, I think, the first women, period, to wrestle on a card in Canada after the sport was legalized. They brought women's wrestling to the Canadian masses. When it came, well, I mean, and damn, Canada's just so into wrestling. When it came to May and Mildred, the face versus heel concept had sparsely before seen such an authentic example. Mildred was the first successful and famous woman in wrestling, and her star status was the first of its kind. She was tall, strong, pretty, and powerful, and such a hero. She and May's careers, among other women wrestlers, of course, were instrumental to one another. So many of the women wrestlers working in those early days were like a spider web connected to everyone else. And although May would never receive the same level of fame in her early career that Mildred did, it could be because Mildred was just such an all-American hero. But the face and the hero are really just there to show just how bad the villain can be. And that's what May was. The people moved by May's interest in religion and God would have been shocked to see May's persona in the ring because May was a natural heel. She took to villainy with the ease of tying up her wrestling boots. And this character never took on a persona or caricature of fiction. May always wrestled as May Young or the Great May Young almost blending the worlds of story and reality. Keeping her name the same makes one question where that persona ends and where it begins. And fans truly hated her. She was beautiful, blonde, and unrelenting. 
She had some fucking heat, as they would say. Audience would throw rotten foods at her, eggs, vegetables, so much so to where some promoters had to start covering the perimeter of the ring in chicken wire to prevent the hurling. May's signature move especially boiled the fans' blood because it wasn't a particularly like devastating finisher, like the tombstone or the sunset flip. It was it was more about disgracing her opponent opponent and mortifying the audience in the same breath. In a J-Rank article, I will quote, To execute a Bronco Buster, she would toss her opponent in the corner so the person's head was resting on the turnbuckle. Next, she would proceed to leap across the ring and land on the top of her opponent. She would grab hold of the ropes, straddle her adversary, and proceed to bounce up and down, hammering her bottom side into the person's chest and throat repeatedly. The Bronco Buster was not particularly painful, but it was humiliating. Something May says about herself was, truth about it is, I wrestled dirty and I was a tough son of a gun. And I think that that is what is confirmed. In a documentary she would later be in, Lipstick and Dynamite, May says, quote, Anyone can wrestle clean, but it's the heel that steals the show. Always been a heel and I wouldn't imagine being anything else, unquote. And while she was severe in the squared circle, outside of it, it just kind of seems like May as a person was just like a brawling bad bitch. She was a fan of getting into bar fights, especially if someone did something to her or one of her friends. And I love the way that media can switch their description about someone when they do something they deem bad. Because, as I already harped on about, May was repeatedly referred to as dainty and delicate, pretty and feminine in almost every article. But when May was arrested in 1949, the articles that address her open with a husky woman wrestler and of the words like that. Some of the details vary across sources, but the same article that calls her husky says that this is what went down in her first arrest of 1949. May went out with two of her friends, who were named Eva Lee McDevitt and Mary Annis Hughes. It was a very cold January night in Reno, Nevada, with snow all around. She and the girls stopped in a tavern to get some drinks, and they met this man while they were there. He owned a music store or a bar in Sacramento, and his name was Salvador Manriquez. After they were done at this place, Sal said that they should go for another drink and go somewhere else, and while they were driving there, yes, it's, it was not a crime to drive drunk at this time, the girls reported that Sal made, quote, improper advances to Miss Hughes, unquote, and Mary fucking slapped him across the face. After he kept going at her, she retaliated by hitting him over the head with an empty bottle of soda. After she hit him, May said, quote, I saw him reaching for his knife, so I put a hammerlock on him and made him drop it to the car floor. They kicked him out of the car, and he had to walk all the way to the police station barefoot, apparently. They took his shoes, too? I don't know. And stole the money from him, leaving him in the snow to get frostbite. That's how he described it. During the hearing for this crime that she was arrested for, the deputy district attorney at the time asked May to perform a hammerlock on him, and when she tossed him to the ground, quote, the spectators in the courtroom roared with laughter, unquote, which is pretty funny. 
In the same year, as I said before, 1949, May had another run-in with the law. It is explained as such. This same Mary Hughes from before was working at a diner in in Reno when this man started talking to her. His name was John Elmer Nelson, and his account later to the police was that they these two were just chatting. He told Mary, very casually, he might add, that he recently came into a sum of money. And when he did, he told police that Mary was like, hmm, interesting. I got a girl I want you to meet. And not long after she said that, in walks in May Young. After Mary got off work, John reports that the three of them apparently made their way through a couple local bars, and John told police his recollection of the night was hazy because of it, but that out of nowhere, May slugged him right on the chin, and quote-unquote two guys came out of nowhere and held him down while she beat him up and knocked him out. When he came to, they were all gone, and so was $100 from his wallet. Johnny May told a little bit of a different story to the police when she was apprehended. The beginning was the same. They met at the diner and they're going. But May said that when they had gone to get a couple drinks, John had made, quote, certain improper advances, unquote, more than once. And she did. She left hooked him because of it. And when he got back up, she hit him two more times with a right fist. And, quote, he stayed down, unquote. He brought charges against her, but she never saw any jail time or faced a trial. While I'm always going to believe, you know, someone when they say that someone sexually assaulted them because I just don't think he got much to gain, I actually do think May had some stuff to gain by saying that in this, and I kind of hope she was scamming these guys and getting money from them. Who cares? And I think that it's not that big of a deal. And the guy that said that there were two guys that came out, I genuinely bet it was just May beating the shit out of him and he was too embarrassed to admit that. But, you know, maybe she really was just scamming these people. I have no clue and no reason to suspect otherwise, but she might have just been hanging out and annoyed by people that were sexually assaulting her and her friends, which is also a very good reason to beat someone up. And I understand why May would have wanted to rob somebody blind, because during this time before and after the arrest, May, when when May was wrestling, this schedule of a professional wrestler was unrelenting. And of course, it still is for wrestlers. And they barely made any money. At the time, she and the girls would usually have to drive to each of their events. So May ended up taking in the whole of mid-century World War II U.S. from inside a car like she had before when she was preaching. Not only did the travel make them bone tired, but after arrival, they would still have to perform their matches six times a week. The matches were pretty insanely long as well. They were two out of three falls with a 60-minute time limit, and I could not imagine doing that. And with the strenuous work, the highest May said that she was ever paid in a week was $52, but that that was not the average. Around then, $52 is 1000 but with all that investment that was sunk from the job, it really isn't that much in the end. And you know, these women weren't doing all of this for pay. We, we know we did that May did it because she was really good at it and she had a passion. She was a very important piece of creating women's wrestling in general. And this is mostly the place I'm going to stop for right now. The next episode has so much more coming. The introduction of the fabulous Moolah, 
the introduction of May restarting her career in Portland, May and Moolah starting their career in the WWE, and much, much more. For now, I would like to leave you all with a quote that really just caught my attention for some reason. It doesn't say much, I just like it. It's from the Chattanooga Times, July 6th, 1947. We sat by a window last Thursday night, talking with Mae Young, and we couldn't miss the perfect setting when a moonbeam seemed to stray into place. In a silvery frame, this girl who looked at you with the deepest sincerity mirrored in her eyes. They go on to say that it's about religion, but I'd like you to think she's got the deepest sincerity talking about wrestling, talking about what she does. And I hope that you'll want to listen to the rest of what she does. Thank you so much for listening. Um, This is Queen of the Ring, and it is written by me, Alexa Pruitt. And the music is by Kreider Dane of Helter Skelter Music Productions. If you like what you hear, please do join again. Thank you. Thank you.